When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to talk about the Week 4 offense at Denver. Uh... Pretty big game for for Lamar Jackson. Here to talk to me about it is Josh Reed. Josh, how you doing? I'm doing great, Ken. Uh, Josh, first of all, tell people where they can find your work and your Twitter handle. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at uh, Josh Reed nine zero seven. I usually say nine zero seven, but some people actually might put the O instead of the, uh, the actual zero. So nine, uh, Josh Reed nine zero seven at Twitter, and then I can find all my work on uh, BaltimoreBeatdown dot com. Been there since about January, so it's been going strong and having a great time. And you're you're in the great state of Alaska right now. Yep, that's where the nine zero seven comes from. <laughs> All right, very good. So, temperature in Anchorage these days? Um, so, so we've we've had some snow here and there. None of it has has stuck just yet. Um, right now we're, we're probably run like the forties right now. So, right now the, the temperature right now is forty two degrees. So, um, it gets okay. it's, it's starting to get a lot darker, a lot colder in the morning. So, I got I got to head out ten minutes early to start my car in the mornings now, just so that I won't have any engine problems come dead of winter. There you go, man. Uh, Kind of a weird game in Denver. Let's get back to that. A lot of us expected the Ravens to try and run the ball. Uh, That didn't work out because a lot of things Denver did. We'll get to that. But I think more surprising was the deactivation of Tyson Williams. 
surprising, more like infuriating, frustrating for me at least. <laughs> uh, I, I just, I just, I, I really don't understand, especially when it comes to like, like okay, I get you know Latavius Murray. He's like you know the great value version of Gus Edwards. You know, decent short yardage back. But when when it comes to Devontae Freeman, I just don't understand what value he adds over Tyson. I mean, the guy cannot move laterally to to, to save his own life or to you know get get to the edge. I mean, Tyson is just has so much more upside and to have and to keep trotting Devontae Freeman out there. Granted, he doesn't get a whole lot of snaps, but like the uh, Tyson's one of the most explosive players on offense, and you deactivate him. And- yeah, I, it was it was very surprising to me, and I don't think the Ravens have their entire stylistic set of backs without him. He's the only fast back they have, unless they're going to activate McCrary, which is also a possibility. But he's not a lot faster than Williams. But Williams gives you that rare blend of speed and power, and I just have to wonder if there was something in practice. Maybe there was a fumble or two this week. They and, came up, and Harbaugh said, "You know what? We got to teach him fumbling is important." And like I, I know, you know, the the fumbling will get you to John Harbaugh, John Harbaugh doghouse quicker than anything else. But like you know, it's almost like the whole what they did with Alex Collins back in 2017. You know, he had some fumbling issues too mm-hmm. before they fully, you know, behaved a feature back. And even then, he was still. Touches were still weren't workhorse level, and it's just like you know, like I, I understand you know there's the risk of fumble. Tyson hasn't even lost any fumbles. I'm like, yeah, you know, Devin Duvernay was there to catch the one, you know, opportunistically, but even the other one he had, I think, in like what week one against the Raiders was out of bounds. So he hasn't lost any fumbles, and for him to just not, I, not only it's, it's one thing for him to get sporadic touches and then hard to get any in the second half of the Raiders game, but then to be deactivated altogether is just so you, you could say. So we want to see we have Le'Veon. Well, look, we already know what. Avion was, you know, at, at his last couple destinations. Granted, four years ago. <laughs> exactly, four years ago. Like, just because he wears 2017, I mean, just because he wears 2017 doesn't mean he's the same guy he was in 2017, okay? <laughs> so I'm just like, there were so many times in that game where I'm like, you know, where, where Murray fails to get to the edge, can't get to the edge, can't get, can't get on the edge, where I just know if that was Tyson, he would at least got four, five, six, maybe even more yards because I know he can get to the edge and get on field faster. I mean, we, that was definitely what the Ravens were missing in this game because the Denver stacked the middle of that line like it was 1972. You're watching that game, those linebackers, and you're, you're ex-linebacker. You, you saw how close their sets were to the line of scrimmage, play after play after play. It wasn't a normal kind of nickel set. They were playing 5-2 defense with the, with the guys just you know three yards off the ball, two yards off the ball. It's, it's just absurd play after play it's almost like they were showing a gap blitz without quite doing that you would have thought they were you you you, you would have thought they're playing like seven defensive linemen or something like that or they're playing or like a, they were playing a, a wing t or single wing offense the way they were stacking the box and it's just like you know like, like, like not to knock on murray you know but he's like he's not the kind of guy he kind of just like a lot of times over like run into the back of his blockers he won't really like take time to find holes or do too, too many cutbacks he had a night he got to the edge one time on that on his touchdown run but Unless he has a full head of steam, like or has like a clear hole to run through, I mean he's not. He's the guy's going to average like three yards a pot. And like and Tyson, that's what it just made me so mad. I just know Tyson would have done so much better in some of those situations where he would have found the cutback lane. He would have bounced. He would have had to speed not just bounce it out, but to get around the edge and turn it into a positive instead of a one yard, two yard, three yard loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, about the only edge play they had that was really a good one was a short pass to Duvernay, where Bell made a good block on the edge. And, and uh, you know, we'll talk about some of the players individually, but, I, you know, I'm, I'm still really a little bit bothered by what Denver was able to do with moderate success. I mean, holding the Ravens to 23 points is still a moderate success. I, I think we'd, we'd agree uh, that that's still a, not the kind of 
point total that the Ravens are going to necessarily win with. They certainly didn't win with it in week one, uh, to, to, to put it clearly. I mean, but, if, if Andre Smith doesn't get called for that right. face, doesn't get called for that face mask, we're, you know, that's four more points right there. So, I mean, they definitely left some points on the board, you know, via penalty. Um, that, oh, that was, it, 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 it made, what made me even more frustrated. It was like, so like perfectly called, perfectly timed, well executed, wide open down the field. I'm like, Oh, you know, there we go. You know, that was almost like the, like the play to um, Marquise Brown in the Cleveland game, you know, except instead of hitting Andrews, mm-hmm. he hit, um, very second, similar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm like, man, that was like, they've been running to this side all, all game long just to set that play up. And then Andre Smith ruins it. Yeah, it's a, and and you really see it. Everybody's got their their zone blocking scheme, their angle set properly, and and he's just about. It's it's not half a second, but he's a he's a fraction of a second. Maybe he's two ticks too late or three ticks too late, meaning a tenth of a second coming out of his stance relative to the other lineman and not having that cadence down, which is obviously that's a, one of the continuity things we're seeing, and and also that Andre Smith is extremely slow footed. Um, you know, it caused him to to have to. Uh, hold the face mask. He still would have been better off just letting the letting the pass rusher go. And that's what I was saying. Still completed oh, the pass. That's what. Yeah, that's what I was saying. I was like, you didn't have to touch the guy. You you guy could have gone scot free. He wasn't going to catch Lamar Jackson from the backside. And you just you run a touchdown pass. Yeah. Just, ooh, it was yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ugly play. Uh, all the tackles in this game continue to struggle. We're going to talk about offensive line play in a little bit. But but that's something that Roman had to, again, scheme around with extra in-line players. So we've been talking about this the last couple of weeks on the show. I don't know if you've, if you've caught either of these. But against the Chiefs, they went up to 1.82 of these extra in-line players per play, where they had tight end, fullback, or sixth offensive lineman, guys who can play in-line, uh, guys who can provide an extra heavy inside the box they played with to try and help those tackles. Well, it was 1.90 against the um, uh, this this game against Denver, and you know, that's an increase of another what 0.08 times eight times seventy is about almost six you know, over the course of the game that they increased the number of, of of linemen they would play over that same period. It's significant, and and yet it, it, against the way Denver was playing defense, it wasn't enough to try and make the normal double team power blocks that that drive the Ravens' offense and create their uh, you know the holes they do on a significant portion of their run run plays. Yeah, um, and you know what? And part of me was like, man, if they had Bradley Chubb in this game, it'd be even worse. Like, cause I was like, you know, thankfully Bradley Chubb was was out of this game. But yeah, it was just like 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 you mentioned in, in the notes pre up. Uh, before the show, it was really a step back from the from the from uh, from both from both tackles. Um, only reason that Patrick McCarry didn't see didn't see Von Miller exclusively on the right side is because Andre Smith came into the game. And he was like, "Oh, I'm going to go eat that guy's lunch real quick." So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's you know it's, it's it's been it's been an up and down you know with with, with Ronnie out. And I just you know thank God for Lamar Jackson. He's able to mask a lot of their deficiencies and turn a lot of negatives into positives. <laughs> Yeah, very very difficult run and pass blocking situation for the Ravens. So let's talk the turn of the offensive line right away. Go through the scoring on these players, and so uh, I'll run through my own scoring real quickly, and then Josh will talk about each player as we go. But Villanueva badly regressed from the previous game. Actually, as a matter of fact, um, he didn't play that that well the previous week. Um, but uh, but a lot of people think he did in his first game at left tackle. It um, one penetration, one pressure. Quarterback hit a third of a sack. If he played a complete game. He'd be able to manage with a, a BC kind of a grade level with that, but this was over a shorter outing, and it, it scored out to a point sixty two as a raw score, even with an adjustment. That's a D. So uh, he had his outing shortened. Um, it's it's a 
it's a really bad thing when a not good player is a very significant loss. And that's the situation we're in right now is Alejandro Villanueva is not a good tackle and he's a very significant loss to the Ravens. Yeah, I mean that's just the dire situation we're in. You know, I keep going back to that that uh, that Ben Mason pick, man. There were so many tackles, developmental tackles on the board. I'm not saying I'm not saying that you know uh, uh, what's what's that guy? The Stone Forsyth would have been would have been an yeah would have been like you know plug and play you know day one starter all pro. But you can't tell me he he would have been better than what they currently have on the roster right now, which is next to nothing or you know washed up veterans. And um, like I said, I, I just. Like, I, at this point, I'm like uh, instead of instead of you know having Andre trying Andre Smith back out there, like you know give give um give uh Ely a shot or some or somebody else like you know I just sharp maybe yeah sharp maybe yeah yeah I think he got some experience starting with uh, with the Raiders and and with the Washington Football Team so just like I said something something's got to be better than what they have right now because like I said they keep trying like I, you know this is not the preseason preseason anymore you know we need to stop the experimenting and if this guy clearly doesn't work then you need to go somewhere. Else. So here, here's the question I want you to answer me. You think about it a little bit. And by the end of the offensive line, I think you give me an answer on this is how much draft capital should the Ravens be willing to trade to get a league average offensive tackle? So some bad team has an offensive tackle that they're probably willing to part with for a lot of draft capital. How much should the Ravens be willing to trade to plug that hole right now? and give them a shot in 2021. They have a fair amount of draft capital available in next year's draft. Mm-hmm. It's good draft capital because it should be a deep draft. How much should they be willing to trade? You know, you think about it in terms of like what pick. And I want an average a league average offensive tackle. So you're getting the, you know, the probably not the 15th best left tackle, but you maybe you're getting the 32nd best overall tackle in the league. And he's a guy who can play on the left side. That's my my that's my uh, rules and the guy is still on his first contract and he he has to have his rest of his contract, except for the uh, minimum salary, accelerated to bonus because that's the only way the Ravens can afford it. So, so it's a lot of you know. The other team is making some sacrifices. The question is, how much draft capital are you willing to pay to to fill that hole? Think about it for until we get to the end of the offensive line. We'll talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about Ben Powers because he he. One of the things that really stood out to me is how Ben Powers didn't really get a chance to use his physicality in this game. There's just too much. Gap filling being done. Obviously, he's being jostled. Ben Bauer's a guy who lives on either one-on-one blocks on like a four-man pass rush or a guy who can make do or, or do very well with a double team on a defensive tackle and then either be the guy to hold the back end of that or uh, move up to level two. And he'd done very well on that in the first three games. He played well. This was not a good game for him. Uh, he had some pass rushing problems like everybody did, a pressure, two-thirds of a quarterback hit. Didn't have any highlights as I saw it. Uh, he lost as much, I thought, as any any lineman in terms of what how his physicality matches up against a swarming horde-like front, front that Denver showed. So uh, he got a C in this game from me. Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't give him a lower grade than that. It seemed like every time it was third and long, and the Broncos, you knew they're gonna they were gonna blitz on third and long, and it seemed like it, the, his gap was always the one where they had the most immediate pressure. And I was like, golly, this guy is getting bulldozed. Like you gotta know what's coming. Like I, I know I, I I know you might have problems anchoring, but you you gotta know what's coming. Like you you know you, you 
but maybe what the Ravens is slide protection. But there are, there are times where I'm like, okay, like, look, you know, it's third and long. You guys are backed up. They're going to be sending the house. Either call, like, you know, like a, like a draw, uh, a quick screen, something. But you can't have Lamar hold the ball because you know he's going to get taken down. Like, they're going to, they, the way they've been, they, the way they were caging him in from, from keeping him from rushing all game, like, you know, that on third and long, they, they were going to bottle him up and either take him down or force him to throw the ball. And he was holding, he held on to the ball a little bit longer than I, than I like in a lot of, a lot of instances. Um, but like I said, you know the pass protection wasn't going to hold up on third and long, and there was like a lull there um, by the offense. Uh, I think like midway through the game, where you're like, oh man, like you know, are they going to allow the the Broncos to come back? But thankfully, the Ravens defense stepped up and didn't allow it to happen. Unlike last week, yeah, in this, this is a point. You, <laughs> this is a point you make that that I think is really important. Is that the Ravens are going to have to do a better job of presenting Jackson with hot reads and getting him to take those options because Jackson is one to hold the ball a little longer because he's opportunistic in that way. The sacks are usually for very short yardage with Jackson because he's usually running forward to leave the pocket. And, you know, you're really talking about the ch- the difference between a 10 or 15 yard gain sometimes on a scramble and a, and a one or two yard loss on a sack. And Jackson will always deem that to be worth it, setting aside the injury risk. Um, and, and, and he's usually right in terms of the yardage, in terms of, of you know, waiting longer to pass, even in this game, which is very difficult sledding in terms of pressure. Uh, he did very well in terms of finding some guys on some extended plays. And so I thought those were those were both, you know, it, it, these are times when when, uh, you know, Jack, Jackson has advantages to gain by holding the ball. But what he needs to do is he he needs to be presented with easy options as well. So these other teams cannot rush seven the way that Denver did. And and it, one of the things about Denver's pass rush in this game is that every additional rusher they sent provided them in, increased value. Other teams will see that. And they're going to we're going to they're going to see a lot more uh, seven man rush Detroit. And, and Oakland going back almost exclusively four man rush. And I think they might have been doing the Ravens a favor based on what we saw in this game. Yeah, and uh, actually, it was, I was like, just like you know, thinking back on this game, and then watching last night's game between the Raiders and um, and the Chargers, like even the Raiders were getting great pressure on Justin Herbert. He was just getting the ball out so fast because they had those quick reads for him. Whether it was the running back or you know, like you know, like a, a receiver, a tight end on a little shallow cross or something like that. You know, just like having those, like, like I said, having those quick reads would be you know way more beneficial than just like okay, hopefully someone's gonna get open downfield. Oh wait, sack. Oh wait, you know, flush out the pocket. You know, something. You know. On a negative play or no or or uh, you know no gain at all, right? And and to do that, they need to run more slants. They need to run more shallow crosses, and those are routes they probably run less of because of Jackson's scrambling ability. So they say we can run four verticals, or we can run three out of four deep routes, and and one that's kind of a medium route. But we can we can run route combinations that other teams don't run because we're relying on Jackson to be the outlet receiver. Well, that, that's it's not going to work if if other teams rush seven as frequently, for example, or if six as frequently as, as Denver did. So anyway, I, I, I'll move on. But that's something I think they really need to fix. Ben Cleveland, uh, another guy who's unable to really use get to his physicality in this split duty. And obviously, when you're, you know, gaps, one of your gaps is being rushed to one side. You're having to concern yourself with with not only your own block, but whether or not the other guy is your responsibility. And sometimes he is and sometimes he isn't. You have to switch. Um, it, 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 I mean, obviously, makes it more difficult to get a nice square block and, and, and be physical, but also makes it difficult to get these double teams going. He had three missed blocks the big obviously was the holding flag he had now fortunately that didn't stall a drive uh, but it still kind of ruined his score uh, with an adjustment he's a d plus at guard in this game you know he 
He's been better. So is Powers so far. I think it is largely a matter of how the Denver defense operated in this game as opposed to their play really dropping off. I think it's accentuated things about their games that are a little bit weaker. Yeah. Um, as far as, as far as Cleveland goes, like I think the, the big, the big outside of the holding play, the big, like, you know, bugaboo for me from his game was that pull block he missed on Murray's run where he got stuffed in the back, in the backfield for like, like, like a yard or two. I was like, Oh, you got to get there, you know, but then again, I feel like a faster or, you know, more, you know, back with better, with better vision, Bobson would have made that guy miss. And then, then Cleveland could have probably got the cleanup block and then he could have, you know, popped one for five five yards or at least got back to the line of scrimmage. Um, but it kind of sometimes to me it seems like, you know, the way they rotate, sometimes it's almost like they move the ball a little bit better than Cleveland's in a game. I don't know if that's just natural game flow or like, you know, like teams feel like they maybe not may be able to get as quick of a pressure against Cleveland as they would against Powers because it just seems like Powers is like a lot more susceptible to giving a pressure on the blitz than Cleveland is at this point. Yes. Uh, yes, I agree. I'm, I'm looking back the Latavius Murray play, and now I can now I've got the visual memory of it. So, uh, Cleveland was was maybe in position. Murray actually kind of disadvantaged him a little bit, or maybe it was McCarry on that side by running further to the outside than he should. But he had a cutback lane that would have possibly resulted in positive yardage. It was a second and four play, so maybe he gets plus one or plus two on that play, and then it's a more manageable third down. Yeah, like they made any short third downs in this game. Oh man, oh, are we, we going to talk about that in, in, on, later sure. on? Later on, or we can do it right now if you want. <laughs> it was obviously a, a, a recurring problem. Man, those are those are one of the instances where you're like, oh man, if only we had Gus Edwards. Oh man, if only we had Gus Edwards, because like those were the Gus Edwards money plays, like you know, like 2019, 20, uh, 2020, even 2018, like you know, third and short. You know, those are pretty much like 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 gimmies, givens. Like okay, yeah, the Ravens got down to third and short, and it's going to be thirty five. It's going to be number eight, or you know, in twenty nineteen it was twenty one or thirty or thirty five. Last year was twenty seven or thirty five. But it was just like man, a, 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 oh Gus, Gus the bus, if only had them in those, in those instances it was just like you know you, you, i've never felt so un- it's, it's been a while since i felt this uneasy about the ravens on third and third and short or fourth and short right uh, unless, unless the ball's in jackson's hands unless it's in jackson's hands then i'm like okay i, I believe jamal jackson can get it but I, i've just seen so many times over these last few weeks where you know murray's gotten the ball on third and short you know third and less than four uh, four or five yards and he gets either no yards or negative yards and it's like oh Come on! They, they need to they need to get those run plays going outside the tackle box was the was the big thing for me. You got extra tight ends. You're lengthening the line of scrimmage. You you got to basically set the edge by sealing it, you know, as opposed to letting the defense set the edge by sealing it to the inside the way you you think of edge setting occurring. But you know when they stack up every defender they have or a, you know a large percentage of them the inside have Jackson go to the edge beat one guy have you know Tyson go to the edge and beat one guy. Oh wait a minute we didn't have Tyson active. But, you know, you understand what I mean here is that, you know, he's a better choice to, to, to beat one guy there. And the other guy that we haven't talked about yet, but I don't think that the Ravens are using him in a way that is optimizing their run game, given who they have, is Duvernay. They have a speed guy. I don't see any reason they can't actually put him in the backfield. They don't use him optimally as a receiver anyway. Um, or use more jet motion with him and get him to cross the formation. So at least the defense has to spread a little bit and defend more of the field. You get an extra guy out of the box. You do, you do something to improve that situation. 
And if you go back to last night's game, like I said, maybe we should, you know, take some pages out of Chargers playbook. They did the same thing with uh, with Darius Guyton, number fifteen. Put him in motion. He's a four. He's like mm-hmm. a four. He runs like a four three four four. Put him in motion. Give him the ball in a jet sweep. The guy was averaging like five seven yards a pop. I'm just like God. Lee, why don't we do that more, with Devin Duvernay? Like the guy is it's, he's such a playmaker with the balls in his in the ball with the ball in his hands, whether it's on offense or as a returner. I know we're going to get into him a little later, but it's just like it frustrates me. Like man, you have this weapon, this utility guy. This guy who can pick up yards on jet sweeps, whereas, like, you know, like, I just feel like running Devin Duvernay on even an orbit motion or jet sweep or, you know, something like that on on third and short or maybe second and short, just to avoid those third and shorts is, is I feel like, it, to me, is a more optimal opportunity to pick up those yards than get just giving it to Latavius Murray. The opposing teams know, okay, 28 in the backfield, he's just going to run it to the back of somebody and try to plow his way ahead for a couple of yards. And if we get it bottled up, he doesn't get anywhere. I mean, you know, they, they basically showed the Ravens exactly what they're doing. The Ravens, you know, were short the back that gave them the full spate of options to run Roman's playbook. And, and you don't have a speed guy other than Lamar. Lamar is obviously an integral part of everything they do. But they need one other speed guy to really threaten the edge. And that, that could be Duvernay or it could be Tyson Williams, but it can't be any of the current guys that are that – are, uh, sitting on the bench getting getting fist bumps from Harbaugh at the end of the game. By the way, I don't know if you really noticed that. You got something to say about it, I'm sure. But I, 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 the funny thing about that was Tom Lunson to me. Did you, did you catch that? Uh-uh. Okay. So, end of the game, they're getting close to 100 yards. and and uh, but, but Harbaugh goes over to everyone, and he fist bumps Murray. And Murray takes it. And Murray had a pretty good game. You know, he did what he could under difficult running circumstances. So, no problem there. Then he fist, fist bump. I think Le'Veon Bell was second, and and Le'Veon Bell did some things as a blocker. Then he fist bumps to, uh, uh, Freeman, who didn't do anything. You know, he, he might have had you know what four touches or something in the whole game. And then uh, you see Tomlinson to the right of these guys roll his eyes, and I'm like, <laughs> I don't know exactly what that meant. Did it mean that? Hey, look! It was the blocking that did anything in this game. It wasn't these guys. Or did he mean that? Are you serious on, on Freeman? Or maybe it was just like, why is Harbs bothering with fist bumps on a game like this where we didn't do anything rushing wise? Well, all of which are legitimate possibilities. But but it's, he was uh, probably it was rolling. Not an impressive run game, obviously from the Ravens. He was probably rolling his eyes because like oh, we have our, we have our best backing street clothes right now. We could have been had a record in the third quarter if we would have had <laughs> we had thirty four in that game. And what frustrates me so much about you know like. It's not even the fact that they that they chose to. I mean, they, you know, it is the fact that they chose to act. You know, to keep Freeman on the active roster, whereas you know Tyson wasn't. It was like the ways in which they use Freeman. I'm just like, why are you running him on motion? He's not going to get to the edge. He's not like, like if you give that if you run that play with, with with Tyson. I have a good. I have confidence that he's going to get to the edge and turn up field. You do it with Watte Freeman. He's getting stuff three yards in the backfield, and it's just like mm-hmm. God. I like the guy's trying to cut through mud sometimes, and I'm just like, why? I, I, I mean, I agree. You know, the guy's trying to make a living and all that, but as far as like you know the optimum, you know, to, as far as the best utilize, you know, dr- you know, not not that draft capital, but you know the skill sets of your backs. Like, why is your best guy in street clothes? Like I don't under I, did, I didn't understand it at all, and it's like like ugh, Devontae Freeman, man. Ugh. We got to keep going here. Uh, Bozeman stepped back from a from a fine start so far in 2021. The first three games, he was the Ravens' best lineman. Nine missed blocks in this one, two and a third pressures. No highlight combination blocks. And by the way, the Ravens as a team, I think they might have had two. I'm gonna go back to this. Zeitler had two uh, highlight combination blocks. Nobody else did. Um, and it, it's it's. Really bad when you're an offensive line that lives off covering up guards in level two. 
that they never are able to set up that double team at level one and get there to cover and cover one up. Now, they still have gaps. You know, in theory, they can pick up linemen who are, who are getting in those gaps, but it's harder than the line is stuffed you know, at the line of scrimmage instead of having people staggered out to create holes for the backs. It's just it's a problem. So, I, it, again, I think the Denver scheme weighed very heavily on, uh, on the Ravens' ability to run their, their, most of their run schemes, but it's certainly any of their power run schemes. Yeah, I mean, like kudos to Denver, man. They really came into this game ready, you know, really prepared with a great, great game plan to to stop or at least limit the run, and um, they did that for the most part. Yeah, they they did. I mean, you got to you got to credit. Uh, I, I assume Fangio with this is really having a game plan that was very effective against the Ravens. Uh, don't have the greatest respect for the other stuff. We'll get to that. Um, Zeitler, <laughs> uh, really unimpressive offensive line play in general, but a big bounce back game for him alone uh his he had three missed blocks uh one and a third pressures over 70 snaps which is pretty good at guard uh five of nine on pulls his only pressure uh, full pressure allowed was on a pull that he missed the block so uh unfortunately that that didn't turn out to be as good but five out of nine is is uh, is what happens when you when you lose minus three effectively on one play um the Ravens had no other strategy other than Zeitler bouncing back. And after that terrible game against Detroit, I was really concerned about is, is he another guy who's done on this, on this offense? Amazingly, it's such a young team, you know, a- entering this season, uh, particularly on offense. And yet now it's like you, we're dependent on three old running backs, you know, uh, uh, some offensive linemen who uh, are past prime, to say the least. Uh, you know, they might be okay. They might get us through, but they're past prime. Scary. Yeah, yeah. It's either they're really young. It's either they're really young at uh, certain positions or really old at others. And then there's this that kind of like no happy medium where you have like a nice, like a, a nice, uh, you know, adequate to replacement level performer at in more than one spot. And it's just like, you know what? You know, this is you know, this whole offense is a little bit, little, little patchwork right now at some key spots, but they're making it happen. Three and one is nothing to scoff at. Now, I'm happy they're there. I just I, I question the ability to keep doing it against teams who really understand how to game plan against these tackles because it's it's a problem. Let's go to McCarry. Tough game against Von Miller. It's not like this was unexpected or anything. In fact, even the biggest adjustment of any lineman. Eight missed blocks, a third of a pressure, one and a third quarterback hits. Part, party the two sacks, a third plus a half. So I know PFF scored him for two sacks allowed. I, he actually allowed a portion of each of those sacks, in in, in my opinion. Um, he had a false start. Uh, they did not always give Miller – sorry, give him help with Miller. So uh, he did have Miller alone on some plays, uh, but they did give him some help. Um, but still a fairly significant adjustment, a C-minus from a carry for the game, despite a fairly significant number of pressure events. Yeah, and I attribute that false start, you know, to him just trying to like, like I got to try to get ahead of this guy, you know, trying to beat, trying to beat Vaughn to the punch. But, yep. you know, Vaughn has one of the quickest get-offs in the league, even at age 31, 32. So even if you do false start, odds are you're not going to you're not going to beat him to the punch. So um, like I said, I, I, I just, I'm glad you graded him on, on a bit of a curve because I said given the circumstances um, and the player he's going up against, like I said, thankfully, you know, for for him that Andre Smith came into the game and he was exclusively lined up on Vaughn Miller. Otherwise, I think he would have had a worse grade. Right. I, I agree. I mean, to just to put it in, in specific numbers for you, his raw score was only 0.01 higher than Villanueva, but Villanueva's adjustment was lower. And so Villanueva stays a D and he went up to a C minus. So that gives you an idea of, of where these two are. Uh, Cologne played two snaps as a sixth offensive lineman. He's used um, 
the Ravens really used primarily tight ends in the fullback to make up that 1.90 per play was the point I'm making there. A couple games ago, Cologne had eight snaps as the sixth offensive lineman. They weren't really trying to do that much in this game. Uh, it was all tight, additional tight ends. It was Oliver and Tomlinson and, and Andrews all out there together uh, on a lot of these plays and Ricard in for uh, over 70% of the plays in this game. I'd actually like to see more of Tristan Cologne on the field as a, as that extra offensive lineman, especially when you have struggling tackles. It's almost like having you know what it is like having you know sixth offensive lineman out there, an extra lineman, an extra lineman, you know. And I just I just think whatever 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 side the dominant pass pressure is on, he needs to be you know shaded to that side. You know, until we get Boyle back, um, that just I feel like that you know just the best way to use him. Did you see him get open on that little um I think it was a little play yes. action? Oh, yes. I was I, I was hoping so. He did. He did have three snaps, so he he only blocked on two. But I didn't count the one where he went into the pattern and, and the cross. And he was the first read. He's the that, first read on the play. That would have been awesome. That would have been awesome. Yeah. See, there's the problem: is if it was our inside linebacker, I don't think he'd have read the quarterback in terms of saying, "Oh, wait a minute, he's looking at me." Does that mean I have a coverage responsibility? I think. I, but but whoever it was there, and I didn't know if it was Simmons or, or one of the other players, they picked up our Stearns. Maybe they, yeah. They this, up, they yeah had Stearns, had, Stearns had a good game. Stearns had a damn good game. Yeah. Well, he's a good player. What are you going to do? Uh, okay. You know, we talked about briefly the number of run failures on third and three or less. There were three more in this game. Um, none of them even led to a fourth down opportunity. So it wasn't even a case of you law, you know, you gained one yard of, of three needed, and then you got a tough fourth and two decision to make or, or a fourth and one. Um, and again, I, I keep coming back to, you need to have not only the hot read scheme because you need that, but you also Jackson needs to become more adept at changing the play at the line of scrimmage when they show what they showed with Denver. Because if other teams pick up on this and all other teams are going to watch this film, you know, they're going to realize this is an effective means to go after him. And Jackson needs to needs to quickly adapt to this being a regular use strategy against him and, and come up with the ways to defeat it. Come up with Roman, obviously. And so there were some instances where you were backed up deep in their own territory where they like, you know, they hand it off to Murray, hand it off to Murray. And I was like, God, Lamar, keep one of those one time, turn around that edge and turn up field. I mean, there were so many times where they were just completely yeah. selling out to stop Murray where I'm like, if Lamar keeps that ball, he's you know, in the green grass, he could have at least a 40 yard game. Yeah, he, t- he took a beating in this game. And I think it might have might have been part of what they were talking about in the second half was, Lamar, you need to hold the ball less. You know, I think it was in the first half that he took the big hit from behind that really should have been roughing the passer. But, I mean, he took a beating uh, in level two on a hit as well, right? It was an, uh, on a run of his. Yeah. And it, 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 got it's, kind of, it looked like he got hit from the side. It's, it's, it's really ridiculous, you know, like the way, the way he's getting treated. He's talked about it, and it's just like the way he's getting treated – even when he's uh, even when he's in the pocket as a passer, I mean, like it's, it's you know it beckons back to who's I forgot what what the referee might have been Ed Hockley. He told Cam Newton one time, "You're not old enough to get that call." He's like, it "Has not he shouldn't have nothing to do with age. I'm a quarterback. Like, you know, if other quarterbacks want to get that call, just because I'm you know I shouldn't say big and black, just because I'm big and black doesn't mean I shouldn't get that call. You know, or because he's more athletic than than uh, the average quarterback." Yeah, I it, it, it obviously we we hate the thing, but. He was last uh, got a roughing the passer call in his favor in December of 2019. It was in the in the game against the Browns. Sheldon Richardson got him second to last game of 2019. Since then, in 2020 and 2021, and I didn't go to the end of 2019, there have been 162 roughing the passer calls in the NFL. There were nine called against the Ravens, 
And there's only one with them as the beneficiary. And that was Robert Griffin, uh, who drew one against Cam Hayward in the COVID game last year. By the way, Robert Griffin also drew one in week 17 of the 2019 season when when uh, Jackson was out. And uh, it's just it's pretty strange that the officiating I've, I've always hated it on defense. I mean, I think anybody who any officiating crew who calls a lot of roughing the passer penalties is very bad for the Ravens. But I also think Lamar Jackson, because he's a running quarterback, is probably not getting the benefit of uh, of some of the roughing the passer calls the pocket quarterbacks get. Yeah, and then so so I feel like what's going on behind closed doors around the league for teams that are going to play them, you know, play the Ravens. You're like, hey, the refs going to let you get away with a little bit. So make sure that make sure he feels you. Make sure oh, he yeah. feel. Make sure he feels you. Every run, every time he slides down or dives down, make sure he feels you. Even if it's an elbow or or a shoulder, make sure he feels you. So I know that's going on around the league, and I think it's a complete and total BS that Lamar's not getting protected. And what bothers me is the is the, is the hits from the pocket, especially like I. I, I I would say I get it, but like, okay, when he when he's out there running, making guys miss, and all that kind of stuff, that's one thing. He's a, you know he's a runner, but when a guy's in the pocket and he leaves, he throws the ball, you know, forty nine yards down the field to Hollywood, and you know he's getting hit two three. Um, seconds after he's already let go of the ball that's not somebody getting blocked into him that's somebody legit diving at the back of his legs like we're lucky that you know he fell the way he did and he wasn't you know rolled up on like it's it's ridiculous yeah it, it, it is absurd and and by the way the nfl has no interest in lamar jackson getting hurt get it together officiating get it together put out points of emphasis put out whatever rules you know you know we we saw a quick uh delay of game flag this last week when the when the clock hit zero and it's like an immediate delay of game as opposed to the previous week and the ravens maybe got the benefit bit of to the doubt of look up look down you know that they say from the from the i guess mm-hmm. the back judge or whatever that the judges are supposed to make that call uh it it uh it, they had a flashy call this last week and it was a clearly a response to it they ought to be looking at that tape and saying look Lamar Jackson can't get hit like that. I mean, just it's simply Lamar Jackson can't get hit like that. You can say it on all quarterbacks, and you can say, don't let this happen again. But with Lamar Jackson, I think they should be saying first quarterback hit. Uh, you know, they're, they're really – you need to look at every single one very closely to determine if that was actually a um, – uh, you know, roughing the passer or not. Yeah, they need to just, like, set like, a firm precedent, especially against the Marcus. Like, look, the Ravens are playing one of, like, five five part-time games this year. If he goes down, who are you going to have for your Monday night promo? Tyler Huntley? I don't think you want that. I, I don't think you want that. On, you know, but, you know, next week on Monday night, you got Carson Wentz and Tyler Huntley. Like, no, nobody wants to watch that. You know, so, like, you got to yeah. protect that guy. And whoever 96, 98 is for Broncos, I hope he gets a, um, a letter in the mail saying he's been fine because that, that, was, that, was, that was bull. Yeah, he, he might have. He might have gotten something today with a with a fine. That's for certain. I'd be interested in hearing that, though. I have to I have to look for that. Um, okay, so this is the big elephant in the room here, and and Denver blitzed absolutely relentlessly in this game. And here's the issue with it: first of all, they blitzed seventy percent of the time by the average man definition of the five plus. Now, I don't really go by that, as you know. I think it's deception more than it's numbers. But in Denver's case, it was numbers more than it was deception. So 28 out of 40 times, they they rushed five plus. That's much higher than double what Martindale did. He was 36% for this game. And it's much higher than the league average, which is probably right around 19 or 20%. It's, 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 it's low. So they rushed him much more. Now, the results are more troubling in terms of why this might repeat itself. So with when the opponent rushed four, they did that 12 times, and Jackson threw for an average of 9.8 yards per pass. 
when they rushed five, 15 times, he threw for an average of 8.5 yards per pass. When they rushed six, which he did it eight times, he threw for an average of 6.1 yards per pass. And when they rushed seven, five times, he threw for an average of three yards per pass, including one sack. Now, that's not a big sample size in the end, but it would tell you that more was more from the defense's perspective. And I can't help but feel that Jackson is going to face heavier rushes from opponents in, in the coming weeks, given what we just faced. And, of course, that, that puts a very high injury risk on him in these next few games. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And the Ravens are definitely going to have to, you know, once they go, go go to the lab, go back to the lab and figure something out. But you're going to have to leave some guys behind. You might not, you may not be able to have, you know, five, six guys, you know, not five, six, but four or five guys out in the, in the passing pattern. You know, you're going to have to leave some guys behind to block. You know, like not just your running back, but like I said, bring in uh, Colon Castillo. You know, like leave leave uh, leave Tomlinson, you know, back there as like another as another you know pseudo tackle because yeah, you can't okay. you can't expose Lamar to that many that many hits because you know they're going to bring the heat. And I, I got those numbers because I think the Ravens did a pretty good job of that in this game. They used 26 set blockers, meaning those are guys who stayed in the entire time to block, and 10 chip blockers. So those are very effective, usually at getting an edge rusher to slow down as they leave the backfield. So it's on 40 plays. They used 0.9 of their eligible receivers to try and stop the rush. And it was appropriate and, and necessary in a game like this where they were throwing so many additional rushers uh, in there. I, I, you know, they're, they're, they're way up from where they were. They were at point, I think they're point sixty five and point thirty six. but I have to look actually back at the numbers. I'm sorry, I don't have them right in front of me for these last couple of games. And, uh, you know, they, they did what they had to to try and keep extra blockers in. I just, it, it, you know, there's a limit to, to how effective it can be. And you can't run a two-man pattern every time. You can, you can usually sacrifice one but it's very hard to sacrifice two or three. And you really have to pick your spots on doing that. Yeah. And for me, like, I feel like the emphasis, emphasis should be on, you know, third and long, you know, third and long. Cause they, you know, those obvious mm-hmm. passing situations, like even if it's like, you know, it's like, it's like say second and 15, like you, you still might need to have a guy hang back. You know, this is like those obvious passing downs where, you know, it seems to probably going to turn up the heat just to try to get an even, you know, further loss on the play, like to try to get a, increase their chance to get a sack. Cause we're going to see some, a lot more like better equipped pass rushes, you know, down the stretch, you know, like, like I just watching with the way the Browns defense is playing right now. I'm like, golly, I hope we got things figured out before they play, play, play Cleveland three, you know, two times in three week span because, um, you know, the way, the way that they're blocking right now, uh, Miles Garrett, you know, he's a defensive player of the year right now. If you ask me, if, if I had a vote, but uh, yeah, that that guy's going to be a headache, you know, come come, uh, what's that, November, you know, November, uh, December, um, if they don't have it figured out by then. Yeah, it's a, it's a very scary double for the Ravens, and it's and it's uh, in three weeks for them, but it's in two consecutive games for the Browns. Just obviously a not a good situation. I think Browns fans are very confident right now over their ability to outclass the Ravens when that time comes. Uh, in a lot of ways, I almost feel like Baltimore really needs a three game lead in the division going into that pair of games. Uh, it would be it would be really nice for that to be the case. Well, you know, it could, it could happen because the, the Ravens have a very easy schedule. Uh, leading up to then uh, the Browns are not perfect in their own right. And and they'll have more trouble with teams with good tackles, but it, it would be very nice to lead the division by three games going into that, going into that three week stretch.
Yeah, thankfully they they play him later in the season. You know, like you know, you know, I'm not I'm not watching anything on Jadavion Clowney, but you know he has problems staying healthy. And you know, by that time the Ravens mm-hmm. appear to be getting health healthy. I mean, I know Alejandro is banged up right now, but you know, you know, they you know we've heard some encouraging news about Ronnie Stanley. You know, who knows if he'll he'll be back by then? And if he's back by then, I'm not saying all my worries are out the window, but I'd be a lot more confident in their ability to block more consistently and protect Lamar more consistently if he's in the lineup, even if he's at 70, 80 percent. So um, I, th- I think by the time it, 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 you know we first saw the schedule, like oh man, it's horrible. Why would they do that to the Ravens? But like now at this point, I'm like oh thank God that we don't play the Browns until you know the third quarter of the season because like <laughs> if we play them right now, they'd probably eat our lunch. Yeah, I think I think uh, you know there's a lot to be said that they're probably the better football team right now. I mean they are they are capable of errors. I, let's go back to Lamar a second. Let's not worry about the Cleveland Browns just yet. Lamar had ample time and space on ten of forty dropbacks, so the twenty five percent is low. But given the high percentage of blitzes, I actually thought it was pretty damn good that the offensive line and that the eligible receivers that were blocking were able to provide ten three second pockets. And when they he got those. He completed 7 of 10 for 146 yards, so 14.6 yards per attempt during those uh, on those plays. And that didn't have any sacks, obviously. Not obviously, but didn't have any sacks in, on uh, with ATS. Yeah, and, and the announcers who were calling the game even said, look, oh, Lamar, it's all day to throw. And when he has when he has a nice, pristine pocket for at least, like you said, like, you know, three to, you know, two to three seconds, it's almost like you're like, oh, something good's about to happen right now. You give Lamar too much time, yeah. to, uh, you know, like Hollywood, you know, Hollywood, Mark Andrews, and um, those, you know, we're going to get into those guys a little later, but like, if you give Lamar, if you, it, it's almost crazy how like how how like feverish you kind of get and we're like oh he has time to throw oh yeah oh yeah he's gonna he's gonna carve somebody up yeah it's just it's it's a it's a big difference too because Lamar rolling right nobody likes Lamar rolling well nobody likes any right-handed quarterback rolling left uh, but Lamar is more able to swivel his body and reset his feet because he's quicker but I, even Lamar rolling right in a controlled way is just deadly. That's what he did on the Andrews touchdown pass uh, that where Smith missed the blocker, got the face mask. But yeah. And the Sammy Watkins play that almost, yeah. that almost converted as uh, the Sammy Watkins play that, you know, Watkins had would then got it knocked out of his hands. He was rolling to his yeah. right on that play too. He, he was rolling to his right. I, the dif- differentiation may sh- I, I want to make there is that he was under pressure in the, under the, under the, on the Watkins throw. On the other throw, he he wasn't under any sort of pressure. He was just you know easily going to the right. Those are the 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 defense collectively has got to be saying, "Oh crap!" Under those circumstances, or worse, uh, when that happens. That throw to Hollywood, by the way, sixty three yards in the air. Did you see that? In yeah, I thought I thought someone said sixty or sixty one. Sixty three. Wow. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. that was what you call what, uh, the old Russell Wilson moon ball. Yeah. So they, they usually when they when they look at those things, sometimes they they calculate it down the hypotenuse of the triangle, which doesn't usually add very much. Even with Pla- Flacco's uh, mile high miracle, that went fifty seven yards. This gives you an idea. This was six yards longer than the mile high miracle. So quite a <laughs> quite a monstrous throw. And obviously, it's great that he that he could run under that same same conditions too. You know, so you're mm-hmm. playing in Denver. Yep. Uh, I guess he wasn't pressured like Flacco was, but still impressive impressive throw for sure i don't think we can get through a show like this without talking about record ball a little bit and harbaugh's decision to make a run play with three seconds to go uh 
I I don't know where you where you sit on this argument, but so why don't I just leave it out there and say, did you have a problem with it? I did not have a problem with it. I was actually worried that they were just gonna you know do the classy thing and take a knee, but I was like, you know, a knee be damned. Like you know how hard it is that they establish that kind of record. Like you make it seem like you know like oh yeah we'll just rattle off another forty something games. Like no, that takes like like Harbaugh said, it, it means a lot to those players, both past and present. A lot to those coaches, you know, past and present. And um, like I had I had absolutely no issue with it. You know, I. I I heard Mark Schlereth go on the Colin Cowherd show talking about, you know, next time, you know, don't worry, I love Mark Schlereth, you know, like one of my idols, you know, for coming from Alaska. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, next time a guy might, you know, might, you know, do a polymodel and jump over the, jump over the center and put your quarterback in the mouth. Okay. Yeah. Nobody's going to do that. Um, like I said, it wasn't, it wasn't that serious. And I don't think the retaliation is going to be on the same level as a Ravens Titans kind of thing. You know, it's just one of those things like, look, you know, this is, we have a chance to make history here. You know, like you said, you guys shouldn't have gave them another chance at um, another bite at the apple. Yeah. I mean, if, if worst comes to worst and Denver comes to the playoffs in Baltimore and they beat the Ravens in Baltimore and they want to go stomp all over the Ravens logo. Look, that's the way it goes. We, you know, the risk was understood. Okay, and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't blame them, frankly, for that. I I I think it would be okay, but but I'll, I'll tell you this: the, it it was effectively it was a kneel play. It was just a kneel plus five instead of a kneel minus one, which is the typical way to do it. Jackson, there wasn't even there weren't even any heavy blocks on the play. Andre Smith was the only one who even threw a decent block, and he kind of pushed someone out of bounds, but it wasn't hard or anything like that. And then Jackson went to the spot. I felt went right down on his butt at that point. Nobody's running for a TV. No, nobody's really trying to embarrass anybody. Uh, they did take away, quote unquote, from the Broncos, the fact that they had broken the streak. But it wasn't that this wasn't a, um, you know, th- th- that play was not being played for blood like a normal NFL play. That was a brother-in-law play as it was run. And it was an, effectively a Neil play. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I really don't understand. And then I, the, the funny thing is that, you know, that Fangio said in 37 years of, of Pro Bowl, I've never seen anything like that. And then somebody, I, I just retweeted it um, before we hopped on here. And if you go back to week 11, 2020, just last just last year, yeah. I, guess, I guess the Dolphins, you know, they had four seconds left in the game. Drew Locke rolls to the right and throws a deep shot to Tim Patrick. He catches the ball. Why did you just take a knee there? Why didn't you just run around in the backfield a little bit and, you know, to do one of those things where they kind of like a, a slow knee, you would take the ball and kind of, or just, you know, like, you know, like how, how are you going to say 37 years of ball? You've never seen that, but you did that, that the exact thing less than a year ago. Right. I, I will say that with, with four seconds left, pretty much exactly f- three, four, five seconds. Those are collect. That's like the range. The deep pass to one sideline is a normal response, but you almost always throw that ball very, very high and out of bounds so that the entire clock runs out. The Ravens have run that play, in fact, with Ed Reed as a receiver against the Bengals. And, and they, had a, they had a play where they were on fourth down, and they tried that exact same thing. So I understand it. It made, it made sense. What, what kind of was silly about the, uh, about the uh, Denver use of it is they threw the ball in bounds. There's no reason for that. I mean, I guess you, you, can, you can rely on Tim Patrick being a much bigger guy to make the tackle on the other side of that. But it's, I, I don't really like it. So, yeah, uh, you could have just launched it. And by the time I, it hit the turf, you, know, but you could have just launched it. By the time it hit the turf, it would, the time would have extended. But no, he wanted to make that um, conversion. So get out of here with that, Vic Fangio. Hmm. Yeah, you think, you think, I, I think if, the, if the other option is punting, though, on 4th and 14, what you're, what you're really essentially setting up is Patrick to be your gunner 
to go one-on-one against this very disadvantaged return man. So if you throw the ball in bounds, bounds and he makes the catch, well, he can kneel it immediately, maybe, if he, if he thinks to do that, and you might get one playoff, or he can try and make the return, and then Patrick's going to tackle him because he's, he's an athletic guy and a big guy. So I, I, at least I understand why they did that. I, I honestly do not believe that the 2020 Week 11 thing is an analogous situation to what the Ravens did. I think it, it's more, it, that is more the normal thing you should do in that, in that situation. But I, I understand why a lot of people on Twitter are upset by it because they're looking for Fangio uh, hypocrisy. And, you know, there, there's other elements of Fangio hypocrisy you can point to. I, I think, you know, one of the things is you want a game over, kneel it out. Kneel it out when you're on the 10-yard line. You're or just, already running the ball. You're, or just keep handing it off. Record ball yourself. Yeah, you're, you're, they, but they did already. They were running on the drive, so they were already trying to – it looked like a major consideration for them was not scoring, but, but to, to actually kill off the Ravens' record and at least take that as a Pyrrhic victory from the game. Well, they didn't get it because they didn't complete the strategy, and now they're blaming us for it. It's just it's, – it's ridiculous. It's so stupid. Now, I, I, what you, any other comments on this? Because I got one more to make, at least prospectively, about this. No, I mean, like, like, like Shannon Sharp says, you don't like it, stop it. Yeah, there you go. I see. The, the, the thing I, I, the one additional thing I'll make is I don't, I don't think looking to the past for all the people that contributed to this record is the way to look at it. I think about what can this record do for my team right now. And if I'm John Harbaugh, I'd say, you know what? Our team lacks some offensive identity. But we want to make sure everybody's blocking hard. Everybody's doing their job. I want to make sure I can I can tell every one of these players playing like a Raven means you're a receiver, you block. It means if you're a running back and somebody else like Lamar is running the ball, you block. You know, if you're a tight end, you better not be caught without a dance partner in level two kind of thing. I, I want to be able to say those things to my players. And so I, I, one of the things I can do is I can demonstrate that this record is important. I can keep it going and I can keep even defensive players like Marlon Humphrey holding my offense accountable by saying, you know, I was looking at the, at the rushing yards the whole game. I was really hoping they'd run the ball again. Well, good. I'm glad that, that's, that's team unity mm-hmm. right there in, in, in force. If you want to look at this as a going forward item, that's, a, that's terrific value for that to maintain this facet of their identity that they jealously guard. So it's the same reason why the 72 Dolphins are still popping champagne corks when the, when the last team goes defeated, is, it, is that they, they jealously guard. And, that, 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 and it's still a unifying factor for that group of old men now. Yeah, I mean, just to be a part of history, like it just, it just, it just means so much. Like you know, like, like, like even me on, on a smaller scale, the fact that I was a state champion, state champion my last year of in high school, it means something to me. You know, I'm not one of those guys that live in the past to go around parading your state championship ring, but you know, like whenever I'm, I'm out on an assignment for the um, for the paper up here, and somebody asks, like, "Oh, did you go to school up here?" I'm like, "Yeah, I went to West. Oh, where did you go to West? Oh, I went 24th. Oh, did you all win state? Yeah, I was on that team. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, it's just like a sense of pride that you." Know, that even guys who weren't necessarily part of, you know, like, you know, the, the, the record breaking, you know, game or whatever, that even those guys can take pride in it. So um, I know I know Miles Boykin takes pride in it. He'd be blocking his ass off. Yeah, you're right. And Miles Boykin would, uh, you know, he I, I really want him back, by the way. I mean, Miles Boykin can provide a lot to this team if they want to reestablish a, a, a run identity. And, and you know what else? He'll take the top off some defenses, too. As much as he's had problems, he's an extra speed weapon for the Ravens to use on some deep throws. Yeah. 
All right. We talked about record ball. Other skill position players, who would you like to talk about? Um, Marquise, Marquise Brown, man. Like, that guy, ugh, whack. I even tweeted out, you know, like, you know, he really redeemed himself from that play. He let us all know after he scored a touchdown. You see a little celebration he did with his hands, like, like the balls, mm-hmm. the balls in there. So I mean, after that rough game he had last week, to come back and and you know not just you know catch a you know a little a little slant and go and turn up field, but to act you know make a similar play, like you know lay out for that ball, go out you know blow past the defense, another deep ball to track it the way he did, and then lay out the way he did to catch the ball. I mean, what a redemption song! Yeah. It was a, it was a, a certainly a great grab, and uh, the fact that he's able to to put that subtle double move on. I think it was Simmons was the defender, the, the safety deep on that side of the field. He got Simmons to turn to the outside, you know, the right side of that field, and then he moved inside and he was gone. There wasn't anybody to cover him at all. Uh, it was a it was a deep cover too, you know. So it's so presumably you have some defense against those sorts of routes, but Simmons' wrong turn there. Uh, really put it in, uh, made it a fairly easy pitch and catch that got made into a more difficult pitch and catch by an absolute cannon shot from Lamar. Oh, yeah. It was whistling through that that thin Denver air. I mean, Simmons got picked on a little bit in this game by both Marquise and Mark Andrews. Yeah, I I, I agree. I mean, Simmons, Simmons value is in, you know, a a short zone. You know, he's, you know, when he's up and playing a dime back kind of role or he's a, uh, you know, he he gets in position where his responsibility is a short zone. He's deadly because he can come downhill, take out a running back. He do all sorts of good things for you. Um, But but he's more useful in that dime back role than he is anywhere where he's out in space in coverage. Obviously, that's true of a lot of safeties. It's not it's not real surprising, particularly strong safeties. Yeah, he made a nice play of Josh Oliver, but that was about it. Other than that, he was getting mossed by uh, by um, by Mark Andrews a lot. <laughs> Andrews, yeah. Uh, James Prochet, a guy I want to talk about. I, I thought he did a lot to build a connection with Lamar in this game. Obviously, a big trust-building game, and nothing builds trust like being there after an extended pocket happens. If you're there after an extended pocket for Lamar, I, I guarantee you, you're going to get more looks. And Prochet came across the field several times to that right boundary, and all but one time. One time, I, th- I didn't think he really took the right angle to, to come back to Lamar more. But all the other times, he took the right angle to be right where that ball needed to be uh, for, for Lamar to get it off in, in good order and, and for him to make the catch inbounds. And honestly, I think that, that that trust thing started back last week when he had that 29-yarder against Detroit on the, like, on the right side of yeah. the field. You know, he's the kind of guy that on those on those scramble plays and, you know, he makes himself available, has that great, you know, a, a spatial awareness and, you know, body control to, you know, keep his feet in balance and present himself as a viable target for Lamar. And, you know, just him making that catch, you know, last week and then translate to this week, you can really see that that he's really starting to earn the trust of, of, of uh, Lamar Jackson in some key situations too. I mean, like there are a bunch of times where he caught those balls, like, like take four of his five balls, resulted in first downs. A couple of times he was short of the sticks and just lowered his head and and picked the, and moved the chains. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, he did have a really good turn and get those extra two yards to get the first down on one play, and then they got locked up with each other. And I, I couldn't figure out what was going on, but it looked like actually Prochet had his had his hand on his on his jersey or something up near his neck. So it was like a, they, they, and they, they both took a while to release. I, I couldn't tell exactly what was going on there initially. You, you know, one thing about this game that shows up is that it, when the other team is rushing five, six, seven guys, you're going to have really good opportunities on extended plays. That, that, that's obvious and normal, but even the more difficult pressured extended plays where Lamar is actually being chased 
to the right sideline, there's nobody else there in that short zone. And the guy, the cornerback behind the receiver who's going to the boundary, generally speaking, can't make a play on the ball other than to wait and let that ball be caught. So it, it better be a case where that receiver, he has an important job in this kind of a game where, where Lamar's getting chased around a little bit to come back and get that football. And Prochet really came through, I thought, in this a very good game for him. Yeah, he made some good adjustments to sure, some sure. low. Who would you like to talk about? Oh, I was good. So one more thing on Brochet. He made some good adjustments on some low thrown balls too, where he you know kind of got it before it hit the ground, and um, he had that one where he, where he caught it and hit the ground and didn't nobody touched him, and then he kind of just you know, let the ball hang out there, and then Keith, Keith Williams or uh, T Martin talked to him on the sideline, but hey, you got to tuck the thing away, man, or or get up and run. But other than that, uh, I thought it was a great day by Brochet. Your turn, though. Who would you like to bring up next? Uh, Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews has been heating up these past couple of weeks. And, you know, like a lot of it is the beneficiary of, you know, a lot of teams playing more play more zone against the Ravens to try to, you know, mitigate what Lamar does as a runner. But that leaves a lot of space open for Mark Andrews to, to, to work. You know, I, 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 I like to see less sliding grabs by him just because I want to see him get hit in stride so he can, you know, turn up field, use some of that, you know, some of that, some of that yak ability. But, um, yeah, the guy just, you know, he just, he just gets open and, you know, the way that he gets open at, like, you know, that level, second level of the field where it's like, oh, that's a chunk play to Mark Andrews. And the way he gets he gets on top of you know, safeties like Justin Simmons and some of those other, you know, what well, you know, you know, well regarded, highly regarded safeties, it's a thing of beauty. Um he's he's, he's improved greatly as a blocker as well. It really pains me that he didn't get that touchdown. It would have been his first of the season. But um I expect a lot uh, more big things from Mark Andrews to come. Yeah, I, I I don't think that'll be a problem of him getting some big plays down the down the stretch here because he's still the most connected receiver to Lamar by far, even more than Hollywood. Hollywood, he's he's had a good connection with this year, but Andrews is just always the first read. And if they're during camp, boy, I mean, it was almost like. Can you throw it to somebody else? Can you try and develop another connection? And, and he's he has he's done a little bit with Watkins, but Andrews is still his go-to guy. And and I'm agreeing with you that I think the level two, level three opportunities for Andrews, particularly if other teams are going to maintain some of this uh, high blitz rate, are where the money really is. Mm-hmm. It's it's harder for him to run a shallow cross. I think we saw that on Simmons at least one or two, perhaps two plays, where Simmons made a play on on a ball that was intended for Andrews on a cross. And was able to get in there and get his hand up. One of them might have been Watkins, so I might be wrong about that. But but there were a couple of plays that were more shallow. That 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 you know, it's like why why isn't Andrews trying to threaten level two, level three on these plays? Yeah, I just love him as a as a as a down the field target more so than a, just a short intermediate level target. All right. Um, I'll talk about Tomlinson a little bit. Uh, He's had a terrific year right now blocking for the Ravens. It's actually hard for me to think back to roster cutdown day and the risk that, I mean, they had a pre-agreed, pre-made agreement, obviously they were going to bring him back, but to cut him and then, and then bring him back and even be a little bit slow about it because didn't Tomlinson and Levine, they waited an extra week or maybe I have it wrong. Maybe it was Tomlinson or Levine and another player. I think it was McPhee who signed back last. Uh, McPhee, okay, I may not be right, but I thought Tomlinson, Tomlinson was on the on the first week roster, and I guess Levine might have not been on the roster till week two, and was a uh, practice squad call up in week one. But anyway, the, the the point I'm making is that Tomlinson has really paid off for the Ravens this year. And there were questions about whether or not he was good enough to be the fourth tight end, beat out Oliver. I mean, he is so. In, integral to the to the Ravens' offense relative to what Josh Oliver does for this team, it's not even funny. 
Yeah, yeah, and I know there's a lot of hype around Josh Oliver, you know, preseason and all that, and offseason, it's the third pass-catching tight end, and, you know, oh, the Hayden Hurst 2.0 or, you know, 1.5, but um, I, I just think what what, uh, Tom, what, what Tomlinson brings um, right now, especially with considering the tackle situation, is on a much greater level, especially with all that. It's like, uh, and let's see, if the receivers weren't producing at the level that they were producing right now, I'd be, you know, oh, man, we need Josh Oliver to step up. But the fact that you're getting more production from the receiver position kind of mitigates that, oh, we need a third pass catching tight end kind of thing so that's why i value what what tomlinson is bringing to the table more so than josh oliver all right your turn anybody else you want to talk about um devin duvernay i'll talk about devin duvernay um the you know he's a guy that like, like i said earlier with whenever he gets the ball in his hands you know he's, he's a he's a threat to make he's, he's like a spark plug you know big play waiting to happen now um he made some he made some questionable calls on as far as fielding punts like he you know the one he let go to to the four yard line and to the eleven yard line, but like he, he always you always know he's he's gonna make up for it eventually. And then he had that forty two yard uh, you know return to set up the, you know, the Ravens in scoring position just before halftime. And then also as a receiver, I mean he, the guy's average depth of target is only like five point seven yards per target. You know you know after average depth of target, but he's at, but he averaged ten yards a ten yards a catch in this game because you know he has that yard after catch ability. You know he has that ability to you know not just catch the ball and you get you those you know five yards you know where you're hitting them, but also turn up field and get some more yards. So you know he didn't finish you know, with a got with a gaudy day. He just like he had three catches for thirty one yards. But the fact that you know the guy's a threat. You know his all purpose. You should always look at his all purpose yards at the end of each game. And he's always going to be in um at least almost to hundred, if not over a hundred. You know if you, if you throw in his receiving and his and uh, his uh returning and even you know his rushing if they would use him in the right way. Yeah, I, I mean I I like what Duvernay brings to the offense. I just. I really wish they would use him more as a run threat or maybe as a screen threat. Um, you know, they targeted him six times in this game for 31 yards. I'm not, I'm not saying his yak isn't good because it is. He made a he made a really nice play on second and 20, I think, when Bell gave him that block yeah. along the edge, the way the flag got picked up. Uh, but it's also six targets for 31 yards. And at 5.2 yards per target, I'm really unexcited about that from a wide receiver. So he's either got to be a deeper threat down the field, which I'm not sure that he's the perfect guy for that. I think a lot of corners can keep up with his kind of speed. I think the, the way he can help you more is by being that jet motion, orbit motion back who threatens the edge uh, and, and threatens it with run or pass uh, to get you speed to the edge that, that causes the defense to loosen up and, and, and spread out a little bit. Yeah, he did get behind the defense that one time. Lamar missed him deep down the left sideline, but um, yeah, that yeah, I like like I, I do. I'm in agreement with you as far as like being not having that take top take top of a defense speed, but you know that kind of breakaway speed. All right, um, MVPs. Do you want to talk MVPs in this game? Then we're going to go to the mailbag. What do you say? Oh, sure, sounds good. You do you, you, who's your number three guy in this game? Um, number three, uh, probably probably be Prochet. Like I said, I, I, your list and my list is pretty much spot on. I, I throw Mark Andrews in there too, just because I'm like I liked what I saw from him. But I did, I just think the way that Prochet kind of has you know his coming out party you know on Sunday and really pick, was more meaningful the fact that the, the production was how he got it. You know, as far as getting getting open, you know, being that reliable outlet guy, picking up those first downs. Like you know, like you know, whenever you can not just you know catch a ball and you know on 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 you know second first and twenty for you know for 10 yards you know that ain't really that doesn't move the needle for me but the fact that you catch it you know short of the sticks and then get beyond the sticks whether it's you know be, before you catch the ball or you know as a run after the catch opportunity i really like what i saw from him 
And I'm curious to see what his role is going to look like. Oh, wait, well, go ahead. No, no, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. You're, you. You did a lot of things right in this game in terms of being in the right place, in terms of getting yards after the catch. It was a lot. It was a big trust game for Persia. He's my number two guy on the MVP list. Uh, my number three guy was Hollywood. Uh, I thought that, you know, I, I could understand putting Andrews in the spot or Andrews in the two spot, whatever you might have done. But but to me, uh, Hollywood's ability to stretch the defense is what's going to be really important to the Ravens. And they need him back catching the football. Uh, and that he did in this game. So he, he had a, you know, so like, what did what, what he end up into in terms of catches for? for I think like four, like, I think four, I think yeah, yeah, four for 91. Yeah. Yeah. But it's but on only five targets is the point is he didn't he didn't have a lot of wasted targets in this game whereas Duvernay kind of had three wasted targets as mm-hmm. this as this went. Okay, uh, you had Andrews at number two. I take it then. Uh no yeah yeah so I had Andrews Andrews as two like I said the, it was kind of like a tie between Andrews and and and, and Marquise for me for number two I mean for number three because I had Prochet as my number as my number two um just because like like for the reasons I explained but I think we're in agreement as far as who number one is right. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't think we have to talk about that too much. Um, great game for Lamar in terms of accuracy. Uh, I, I thought he really threw balls that I don't remember seeing that kind of tight spiral, that kind of high spin rate that we saw, in, or even in 18 or even in 19. So I, I really love the way he's throwing the football this year. The only a, a couple of passes early, he kind of short armed them. Yeah, like it almost looked like a Denver adjustment he was making. Did it seem like that to you? Yeah, they was like, oh, you gotta stop throwing those in the dirt, man, because like he threw it like right at the receiver's feet, where I'm like, you know, you raise that ball up three or four feet, and that's the catch, you know, and you you're looking at second and second and four instead of third and long, or whatever. All right. How about we go to the mailbag here and we'll talk through some questions. Got a, a fair number of good ones always in the in the list. Um, OK, so one of them is interesting. This is from Chip Rose. He asks, what t- tackle options exist with Villanueva's injury? So I guess we're going to go into the assumption that Villanueva is hurt this week. What do you think the Ravens do at offensive tackle in terms of activations uh, the only guy they have on the roster currently who plays tackle, at least it, it, that they will admit plays tackle, is McCarry. Yeah, um, um, they, they definitely have to come from a practice squad elevation. I don't think you're going to bring a guy off the street to start right left tackle on Monday Night Football, um, you know, uh, less than a week from now. So I think it either have to be McCarry or, like I said, Sharp has some experience on the, on, on the practice squad. I'd like to see Ely activated, you know, even if it's just in a backup role. I just really don't want to see Andre Smith out there on le- at left tackle. I mean, I know the the – the, the Colts don't really have anybody at the right home about as far as, you know, edge, edge rushers, but anybody will look good against Andre Smith. So I'd rather not have but, him out there. Yeah, big, big problem. And, and you, you make a good point about they really can't bring anybody else for uh, to have them play tackle next week. So it has to be two of the three guys on the practice squad. So they have actually they have four now. No, they have Andre Smith, David Sharp, and um, – no, they have Jared Jones-Smith. Forgot about him. So he's the 6'7", 320 guy from Pittsburgh. And they have Ely as well. So they do have four tackles on the practice squad. But two of those will have to be elevated this next week. And they've been using their COVID activations to, to elevate Andre Smith so far. So they haven't used any practice squad elevations for him yet. So I believe for any of those tackles, it would be still the first uh, for them to be elevated. Yeah, if you were to ask me, just based on what I said. Another question from this list? 
Oh, uh, uh, I, I was just going to make one more comment. If, if you were to ask me as far as like a double tackles on the practice squad, I'd leave Andre Smith down and bring up Ely and Sharp just because like, I just, no, I'm, I'm good on Andre. Let me explain to something to folks. So this is a production issue we're trying to get through here, but we have a little bit of a of a sound delay between Josh and me. And so it sounds like I'm interrupting him before he responds to me, but it seems like he doesn't have anything to say because it's taking a third of a second or something to get to Alaska. And so I'm moving on. We'll be more careful about that. I'm sorry for, for the appearance of this, Josh, but really want to respect your opportunity and what you have to say about these players. Uh, do you want to take the next question? Oh, sure. Uh, Read it off. I I don't have it in front of me right now. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, (laughs) Okay. Nick asks, uh, we as fans realistically expect Bateman back this week. Um, With Prochet also having return man abilities, uh, could he give the O better field position at times where Duvernay hasn't? I know you, you spoke highly of Duvernay in terms of your comments about him. So they're they're asking if Bateman would 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 fill some of those duties. I I didn't I didn't really set this question. I think they're saying Bateman would take Prochet's spot as a receiver, and Prochet would take Duvernay's spot as a returner. No, so I think they like they like Duvernay as a return as a returner too much to um to to have him deactivated, and the fact that he can do more things on offense. Not saying that Prochet can't, but um, like I said as, as frustrating as Duvernay can be at times, as far as you know, judgment calls, fielding punts, he's he's too much of a of a, of a big play threat to, to to leave on an inactive list. So I, I think it's going to be really um like like I was saying earlier, it might um I'm really curious to see what Prochet's role is going to look like once Bateman does come back. I think they should ease Bateman into action instead of just playing him. You know, 30, 40 snaps if they play that many on offense or whatever. But um, I just think that um, they're going to ease they're going to ease Bateman into action, and so you shouldn't expect him to get like four or five targets his first time out, or you know, ten targets or whatever. Um, but I, I um, I I think they might have all those guys active. Um, as, as far as me, I think I think honestly, I think I think Boykin. As much as you know, we'd like to see you see him return as a run blocker. As far as like the way that this offense is playing right now, as far as leaning more on the pass than the run, just because you know their run blocking isn't the best right now. I think they lean more towards having, you know, Prochet, Duvernay, Hollywood, Watkins, and Bateman active, and um, and uh, and uh, Miles Boykin inactive. Boykin, yeah. I, 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 uh, there's, a, there's multiple points to this question. So first I want to say is I think they probably like Prochet as a receiver at this point. And so they're not mm-hmm. trying to get him out of the receiver role. Um, in, in the case of uh, Bateman, which is kind of the second of the point that I want to address, is I would kind of put the over-under if he is active at maybe about 15 snaps this game. I don't think it's going to be 45 snaps. I don't think it's even going to be 30 snaps. I think, you know, they'll get him in and you know, it could be a trial by fire situation if somebody got hurt. So if Sammy Watkins got hurt and Miles Boykin is inactive for some reason, okay, well then Bateman could play a lot of snaps. But it's it's I wouldn't think that it would happen without something some outside influence creating a lot of snaps from. Otherwise, I think you know he's he's at probably fifteen snaps. I also think there's a reasonable chance they might get them all active. Uh, all the wide receivers because they all provide special teams value and they haven't really had a lot of that from their running backs this year. It's only it's they really need to get as many receivers as possible because none of those none of those running backs are special teams players or they're not good special teams players anyway. 
Yeah, yeah, no. It's just when you have a bunch of veteran running backs, and none of them are going to um, provide much value on special team, which is also kind of frustrating to me about you know the way they're doing the what they're doing uh, to Tyson because like you know he actually does play special teams, and um, you know he, he, like it, it's just huh, I just I'd like him to be active for more games. All right. Here's another one from Josh Hoffman. He says, is it my imagination or does Lamar Jackson have about a 90% target rate the last two weeks when he has decent pass protection? Well, I mentioned he was 7 of 10 for 146. Maybe not quite what you're you're thinking about in terms of the, the in percentage completion, but probably 100% of what you're thinking about in terms of the yards per target. So, yes, he's been very effective in those situations. Oh yeah, uh, Lamar. Lamar is definitely um, balling out. Just get throwing the ball. I just like the way he's kind of rewriting a lot of his narr- uh, you know, the negative narratives on, on you know on him coming into this season. As far as oh, you know, they can't throw their way back into a game. He's done that. Oh, they can't play from behind. He's done that. You know, oh, he can't throw outside of numbers. He's done that. He's done all three of those things in space. The guys let three game winning drives. You know, in uh, the first uh, you know first uh, first four games. He shoot. He did. He did it week one. Just the defense couldn't hold up. You know. <laughs> so this is a guy. He was like said, kind of turning, flip, you know, rewriting the script. Whatever you know, you feel whatever uh, you know, saying you want to you want to use flipping the script, rewriting narratives. But um, the way he's airing the ball out this year is, is something spectacular. Yeah, very, very. Uh, I think it, it, it's getting much harder for the anti-Lamar people to move the move the spot. But the one thing that's going to make him easy is if he somehow gets hurt, they're going to say, I told you so, told you so, told you so. You know, we'll hear but that. But if, if he gets hurt, it's, well, I feel like this general soreness that he's been experiencing is more from those, you know, from those hits that he's taken after the ball's gone or those uh, those overly aggressive hits he's taken from defenders more so than it is him flipping into the end zone or anything like that or him like you're trying to run somebody over. Because he's real strategic about which hits he decides to take on and which one he decides to avoid. I mean, I said that, that flipping the end zone thing, Okay, shouldn't have done that. But I think a lot of this stuff, the disorders he's feeling is from those um, hits that should have been called um, roughing the passer. Yep. Yep, I would agree with that. Uh, Okay, John, I I think this may be big booty, but John says, uh, feel like many OL issues could be helped if they would just roll Lamar out more instead of keeping him in the pocket and forcing him to run for, for his life all the time. Their bootlegs do well and goal line, not sure why they ever try it outside this area. Okay. So Lamar, of course, has that incredible record of never throwing a red zone interception. And a lot of that is left to right movement to find red zone targets in the end zone without having to loft the ball up high on plays like zipper or a fade route. Mm -hmm. So I completely agree with the notion that, that Lamar is very deadly rolling to his right when he has time. And yeah, they could try more bootlegs with him. One of the issues with bootlegs is though, if you run it naked, like most teams do, they zone block to the left, they naked boot back to the right. When you run it like that, that edge defender, because it's Lamar Jackson, that's always his number one A priority and has basically 100% of his attention. If it's Joe Flacco, his concern is, is that running back going to cut back on me? So yeah. you're, 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 you have a better chance for it to work if you have a less mobile quarterback. Yeah, and that's and that's why like people like people get so up in arms. Why don't like I see Baker Mayfield having if we put Lamar Jackson in their offense, I'm like, well, if we put Lamar Jackson in their offense, they're gonna come screaming up the field every time because they're not gonna allow him the chance to, you know, turn the corner and need to turn up field or have, you know, uh, you know, uh, breed at first, second, and third level. They're gonna come screaming up the field and try to blow blow his his blow his butt up. You know, so like when they say like, oh, you know, if the Ravens can run like a, a Kevin Stefanski esque or a Sean McVay esque offense, that's because because, like, you know, they have semi-mobile quarterbacks, not dynamic dual-threat quarterbacks like Ravens have. So it's a different level of, of threat that the, that the signal caller presents that you got to account for. 
Yeah, that's a real good way to put it. That's an excellent way to put it, Josh. Um, I got one. Uh, okay, um, I got to do it for tonight. Oh, I, I, sure. I, got, I got one. There's a guy that we said we'd get to. Um, Jason Michael Cox. He has. Um, is it a concern that either Cleveland or Powers can't win the um, can't win the uh, left guard spot? And uh, please sign Bozeman. Uh, that's a big worry. So uh, as far as the Cleveland and um, and Powers thing, like I said, like we mentioned earlier in this game, um, I I think they're taking the slow approach with uh, Ben Cleveland just because like he didn't have much of a preseason only. Play in one preseason game he sat out a lot of training camp you know with the concussion and i think he had something else wrong with him um but so i think the first three weeks you know he was he's an active week one and um that's when tyree phillips went down and then these last three weeks really kind of served as an extension of the preseason for him at least in my opinion and i think he's gonna he's kind of they're taking that orlando brown jr approach with him as far as the kind of easing him into the lineup and before uh, i'm not saying that ben powers is going to be relegated to the bench entirely but i think that you know the more the more the more the more that cleveland gets acclimated the more we're going to see of him and less of a rotation yeah I, I would agree with that i think that that you know they have that the other thing i think they still need to consider with cleveland is given the current state of the offensive line and the complete dearth of tackles if you're going to use your tackle like a guard a lot of the time anyway which means mccary they completely cover up on the right side for example whoever you've got on the left side currently you have to complete you have to cover him up a lot Okay, you have to give him help from a back, from a tight end, six offensive lineman, whatever it might be. I think you got to think about the possibility of moving Ben Cleveland to tackle again. I think, okay, I think it's got to be on the table. And there are a bunch of other options that can fail. They've got some very long arm tackles now on the practice squad that they could give a chance. But I don't think Andre Smith is the answer. And I think, you know, if you if you have two weeks to get Ben Cleveland acclimated to playing right tackle, maybe you take that chance. And, and, you know, he will provide you a lot of what Orlando Brown did initially uh, in terms of a guy you necessarily don't have to block the edge defender. You leave the edge defender unblocked with air. You run your pistol read option offense again, and you get him to level two, and he will make you some devastating blocks there. Uh, the half level up, he'll, he'll easily be able to seal that edge, even getting into space. I think he's better athletically than anybody really gives him credit for. So I, I would still love to see Ben Cleveland um, get that opportunity at some point, particularly if they're just going to alternate him with powers at left guard, where they're wasting, I think, two of their decent offensive line options in total on this rotational scheme. Yeah, I definitely think we brought up a great point as far as the way they like to kind of hide their tackles and pretty much use them as guards. If you're going to keep using those like overloaded side of you know the offensive line to one side or the other, why not do it? I mean, like I said, it, it, it gives you the you know the body advantage, and you have a guy who's more equipped to play that position than an Andre Smith, who's way past his prime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. Josh, always a pleasure to talk football with you, my friend. I love these conversations. I'm, I'm sorry about some of the technical difficulties in the back and forth and the interruptions that occur. We get this on cell phones sometimes, too. It just annoys the heck out of me when it happens. But uh, great things to say. We really appreciate you uh, being on here. Tell folks again where they can find your work. Oh, you can find all my work at BaltimoreBeatdown.com and uh, Anchorage Daily News. You know, If you feel like reading some local Alaska uh, sports content, I'm out, I'm, out, I'm out there, too. That's that's pretty cool. You, you, you sent me a link to one of those articles. I'd love to read it, Josh. Are you cover high school sports there, Ben? Yeah, so I mostly cover high school sports. Um, I've, done, I've done some collegiate sports, too, but um, COVID really kind of put a damper on things. So I mostly do um, uh, football, basketball, some wrestling. I've done some volleyball. Um, and then um, except when they came up here for the um, Armed Forces Classic in 2019, I got to cover that. I got to meet uh, Jay Billis. That was pretty cool. Um, so, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, that, I've had some pretty unique opportunities for for ADN. I got to meet Mark Schlereth a couple weekends back. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a pretty, pretty cool, pretty sweet gig. 
That's that's uh, that's really neat, and I I want to see you wearing your uh, state championship ring proudly the next time you're on, which I think is later this season. So we'll we'll, uh, uh, we'll talk about that a little later. Other folks, I want to remind people, and we're doing the 25 years podcast right now. Please get me an idea for that if you want to. Uh, it's your opportunity to be on the air for about 20 minutes and really talk about something you're passionate about from Ravens history. Uh, it, could be an individual game, an individual player that was your favorite that's kind of forgotten. Uh, you know, if you want to talk about Corey Ivey, that's fine. If you want to make a case for why Jared Gaither is better than people remember him, I, I pretty much agree with you, and I'd love to talk to you about that. If you want to talk about any other game, any other trend in Ravens history, compare a current player to an old player, any of this, that's what this 25 years series is about. It's your opportunity to opine about Ravens history. It's been a wonderful 25 years. It's something we really ought to revel in. I want to get to as many people as we can before the end of the season. Uh, so thanks, everybody, for, for listening tonight. Josh, thanks so much for being on. And thank you for having me. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.